Hi, it's Graham from the At The Flicks team. You're about to listen to an interview we recorded some time ago with a young filmmaker talking about his short film, The Blue Flash. We're very proud of this show and believe it provides many useful tips for student filmmakers developing their skills. If you're a young filmmaker or attending film school, we'd be very interested in hearing from you about this episode. Our aim is to make a number of these shows going forward, and we'd like to know what you would like included in future episodes. And now, over to Jeff to introduce our guest. Hello, and welcome to a very special interview from your At The Flicks team. Now, we've spoken a lot to people who've been in the industry for a while. Well, today, we're talking to somebody starting out on that journey. We're talking to young filmmaker Archie Shields. Hi, Archie. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Very good. Yep. Very well. It's really good that I only have to listen to them. I don't have to see them at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes both ways, that, Matt. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, ignore them, Archie. Just concentrate on this. We're going to talk today about your very impressive short film, The Blue Flash. So, Archie, you're currently studying film over in Cardiff. How is that going? I'm studying film at University of South Wales in Cardiff. It is going well. I'm enjoying it a lot. Obviously, I don't think it's the same as it would have been normally because of things like lockdown. But overall, I don't think lockdown has impacted the course all that much. It is a very hands-on course. So there is the problem of not being able to go in and not being able to learn the equipment so much, which I like. I have found to be a problem throughout because before now I don't have that much experience with cameras or sound equipment or anything like that. I've only ever really used like my phone and stuff. The sick form that I went to, we used DSLRs, which are obviously still good, but they're nothing like the sort of professional equipment that we use at the university. They've dealt with it probably the best they possibly can. The tutor who would normally teach us how to use that type of equipment made loads of videos that sort of go through the main things we need to know obviously not everything but just stuff like how to change the white balance and zebra stripes and stuff like that stuff that I kind of knew what it was before but didn't really know how to do and obviously didn't know how to do on these cameras because they're not something that I've ever really known about or researched before so yeah, there's videos that go through it and teach us how to use it. And you're not actually allowed to book any of the equipment out until you have watched those videos. But a good thing about the university is even during lockdown, if you have watched those videos and have access to the kit, you can book it out at any point. And it is good to just like go into the uni and get out some equipment to have a play around with every now and then. And then obviously when I was making the film that I've just made, we were able to access all the equipment that they'd sort of taught us how to use. And in terms of like teaching, it's been different. We do it all over Microsoft Teams. We have lectures and seminars over it. They are good. They're trying their best, but it's harder for us to sort of interact with them in the seminars than it would be, I imagine, if we were in person due to like, you have to turn your mic on and people are all a bit weird because everyone's sort of like in their own room listening 
by themselves. So a lot of people, including myself, are not always comfortable putting their mic, putting their camera on and having their input. So while the teachers are still having their input, there's less of a feedback from the students than I imagine that there would be if we were all in university at the moment. It does take away from the learning. The less people interact, like the less you get out of it, I find. One thing that has been quite good is I found in my first term, so I'm in the second term now, but first term was until Christmas. And in my first term, I found that not a lot of people spoke at all in the groups I was in. But second term, we got to sort of choose our groups more. And I had sort of started to get to know some of the people on the course who are more passionate about film and a bit more like I am and a bit more like I imagine you three are. So I'm interested you're saying about film that some people can look at it as easy, but if you get into the course, clearly like you have, it can become all-consuming. And that's something that comes out of the blue flash. I think you've got an artist here, John Gingle, everything was all-consuming for him, which I think you captured in your film. So going into the blue flash, what inspired you to make it? So yeah, it's quite a funny story. I live very central to Cardiff and near where I live is the Blue Flash building itself. And I can actually see it from the window of my accommodation because I'm in a big skyscraper, so I'm quite high up. And it's right in my view line where I sit while I'm in lectures and stuff. So in my original lectures, I I do get quite easily distracted when I'm just listening to someone speak. So one of the things I tend to do is just look out my window and see what's going on. And most of the environment that I can see out of my window is a fairly sort of grey, classic city centre. It overlooks Spot, which is quite a... Um, a dive. Run... <laughs> run-down area. Yes. Yeah, it's quite it's quite a run-down area of Cardiff. Um, it's called Splot for a reason. Yeah, the only thing good that come out of Splot was Shirley Bassey. But yeah, so Splot is um, obviously quite run-down and grey, like we were saying. And it, so it's quite a quite a plain view except for this one building which is bright orange and has a massive blue flash on the top of it so every time I look out my window my eyes go straight towards it and I can't like stop looking at it even now when I've made a film about it spent way too much time looking at it I still just cannot take my eyes away from it so obviously I was very intrigued by this building and I started like looking up to research what it is looking on google putting in like cardiff electricity building and all stuff like that never did i go to the actual words blue flash because i wouldn't ever describe like a lightning bolt as a flash personally so i was maybe putting like blue lightning bolt and stuff but obviously nothing was coming up because that wasn't the name of the sculpture so i did spend actually like several hours over the period of a few weeks just trying to figure out what this building was because from what I knew it's just a electricity building and eventually I came across a BBC article which was saying about the fight for the building which is part of the what I talk about in the film John Gingle the man who designed the sculpture his daughter fought to save the building in 2018 I think it was due to the Western Power, who are the people who own the building, were like planning to tear it down and just sort of sent her an email saying, oh, we're going to tear this building down without even sort of like asking her. They were just like, we're, we're going to tear this down. Luckily, Zoe saw that email because she very well could have not seen it and was like, 
well, no, you can't do that because it is a sculpture and it is a public piece of art and started a whole sort of campaign to save the sculpture and keep the sculpture standing instantly. As soon as I found out what this building actually was, there was a story related to it. So that just piqued my interest even more. And then not long after that, I was set the task of finding an interesting person in the local area to make a short documentary about. So that was our our brief for the um, university to make a documentary film. I'd been doing research on this building. So I was like, okay, maybe there's even more of a story behind this and more of a person behind this. So after more extensive research, I managed to find Zoe Gingle on Facebook and and I didn't really use Facebook, so I don't know how I came to Facebook, but I managed to find her on Facebook and dropped her a message. And we sort of got talking from there, told me about her dad, told me about the fight to save it. And I was like, this is a really interesting story. And this is something that I think more people should know about, really, considering I live like a 100 metres away from the building. I'm extremely close to it. And I had no idea that any of this had gone on and not even any idea whose the sculpture was instantly I was like okay I'd like to share this story and it didn't really fit the brief that I was going for is the problem because it was supposed to be a story about a person but at this time anyway I think my film was more a story about a building so I was talking to Zoe I ended up going to meet her at one point um socially distanced with masks and outdoors and everything um then we discussed further what had actually happened we spoke for about an hour just about when it was like being torn down and how she fought to save it and how she started the petition with her family and stuff to keep it standing and it was an extremely interesting story and then I took this to my lecturer and I was like okay here's my story and she was like wow that is excellent but then said but that's not at all what I asked you to do and I was like brilliant okay great so I found this really interesting story but it's not what I need to do for my course. I have my heart set on this at this point. So I was sort of talking to my lecturer, trying to defend it. And I was like, yeah, well, it's from the daughter's point of view. And she was like, you don't have a story from the daughter's point of view and stuff. And she's she is very helpful. She is a great lecturer because I think what my university do very well, actually, is all the lecturers there, they all work or have worked um, at some point in industry. And I think they're not really built to be teachers. So what they tend to do more for us is they tend to treat it like we work for them or like we're colleagues or whatever. So we sort of just like had a chat about it and she was like, you need to obviously do what I've asked you to do. And but like gave me advice as well because she's worked in industry and she wasn't like teaching me, this is how you go about it. She was more like you just need to do it and you need to do it yourself which is there's a lot of independence on my course I find for some people I don't think that's great and some people do complain about it quite a lot and I I can understand why they do that because we've come to an a university which is supposed to be an academic place but I tend to find that there it is just like working with these people a lot of the time and obviously there is teaching that going on and more in our so it's not all hands-on there is theory sides to it sorry I was going to say this is I just want to say what that what that film meant to me when I watched it, and and it's interesting the conversations you've been having. I want to see how this then reflects on that dynamic between you and your lecturer. 
the film to me isn't really about the sign the sign's important but what it is it's it's about a loss of family history you know you talk about the path he designed that then gets knocked down for a supermarket and all of this casual destruction of our past that we're losing and it's really powerful when zoe is standing there almost saluting the sign as though it's her reaching out to her father and that final shot where everything goes out of focus except for the new buds where you know almost like that becomes an inspiration to the next generation and i thought that was really powerful and went beyond anything about a sign and said more about family so that's what i ended up going for towards the end of the film initially after i was told by my lecturer i'm focusing too much on the building i quickly thought about okay, how can I change this to not be so much about the building? And I I was continuing to speak to Zoe at this point. And as I found out more about who she was, this seemed like a legacy to me instead of just like the reason that she seemed to be fighting for it was to keep the legacy of her father. And her father, in my eyes anyway, from what I've heard through Zoe, she seems to have taken on board a lot of his personality and while she isn't quite as successful as him she's just as passionate as he was and is kind of successful in other ways because she sort of shares artwork I guess more than she makes it herself and she has been an artist and she's done some incredible work not to the scale that John ever did but she has done some incredible pieces but since her dad died it seemed that she's sort of been like okay, I need to share this artwork and has taken on board sort of his traits of being a teacher for a lot of his time where he he taught art and he taught performance. She's taken a lot of that on board and is just trying to share incredible art pieces. And that is, that's drawings, that's painting, that is music at times. She has a gallery where she shares all this stuff and they do small concerts. Initially, what I was going for, I wanted to tell the story of John Gingle and how through the use of the blue flash and through John's death his traits had sort of been passed on to Zoe Gingle and she was sort of his legacy. Very much like the hat. Yes yes definitely that's why I chose to include that bit there was a lot of small clips where where she spoke about things that had related to her father there was another great bit where she made a piece of artwork about her father which I did want to put in but it just felt like the hat was the most natural and also subtle way of being like these people are very clearly connected and she has very clearly taken on a, a lot of his personality and his legacy. And yeah, it was just an easy thing that she she had just happened to wear it, wore it on the day. I hadn't known about it beforehand. And I was like, wow, this is perfect so we got some shots of the hat and her talking about the hat we're going to put a link on the show notes to, to watch archie's film as archie said it's, it's it's around four minutes long and it packs a hell of a lot in it packs a hell of a punch so i'd strongly recommend and you go to our show notes look at the link and just have a look at the film it is well worth your time on a technical level archie yeah. you directed co-produced and co-edited the film yes Do you find doing all three a challenge Definitely. Yeah. So the initial intention was that I was only the director. So everyone on the course pitched their ideas for their documentaries. And 
if yours got chosen, you got to be the director if you wanted to be, because obviously a lot of people want to direct their own idea. And this was sort of the first thing that we'd done. So people hadn't really decided what role they'd wanted to do yet. Me wanting to be a director, I naturally, when mine got chosen, was like, yes, I want to direct this. I also felt like I knew the most about the building and knew really more of what the story wanted to tell because I feel like if somebody else had been on board and directing in it then they would have focused more on that building which I ended up not doing after I came up with the story of the legacy through the building there was a lot more about Zoe herself that I wanted to put on the end of the film and we did do a two half an hour long interviews with her so there was about an hour's worth of just interview footage of her talking and obviously probably 45 minutes of that was about her father but the other 15 minutes of that was about her and there was some really great stuff about her which I did want to implement but because of the time limit I had I did have to shorten it and just to focus on John himself keep it as sort of one character through another character's eyes instead of showing the effect that that had on Zoe. Are you going to put that out in the future? I was considering making a director's cut if I get time, but the problem I have with it is, so I had a whole crew behind me and I had a cameraman and a sound guy and stuff. We did capture a lot of footage, but we were only at each of the sites for about two hours. So whereas there's loads of audio, there's not enough visuals to match some of that audio for example the bit I mentioned before about her doing the artwork about her dad that was about brick walls but she even though I'd asked her to provide some archive and stuff which she did there was some fantastic archive she hadn't fully got the understanding that I wanted some of her stuff as well so she does talk about herself and that there is a lot of stuff I'd like to add into it. But the problem I have is unless I get the crew back together and meet up with Zoe again, where she has those things that we can film as visuals, with the content I have at the moment, I can't really do that cut. Overall, I do think it works well with the four minutes just focusing on John. There is a chance that one day I will go back and try and do it. For the time being, it's not really something that I'm looking into doing. Okay. So... You had the three roles you were involved with and you wanted to direct, but then got brought into co-production and editing. So talk to me then about the three roles and how you found them then. Direction, co-production and editing. Originally, I was just supposed to be the director. That was my main role. That was the one that I focused on throughout. Due to sort of circumstance, I kind of took on the other two roles a bit as well. So I did have a crew of five, including myself. So I was director. Then I had a camera, a sound, an editor and a producer. And initially, I hadn't realized that I was going to be given a producer. I knew I was going to be given the rest of the crew, but I didn't realize that we were having producers just because this was our first small short film. The reason that I ended up co-producing is because before I was given him, I had done a lot of the producer's job and I did help him out a bit when he was on board as well. But initially, most of the producer work that I did was because I hadn't realized that I was going to be given a producer. And it was more the side of a producing role that I was in talks with Zoe. And that that stayed the same throughout. It was always me who was contacting Zoe and asking her about stuff. Initially, I did a lot of research where I emailed people across England who had worked on the Bay redevelopment, because that's when the Blue Flash was built as part of the Bay redevelopment. So I found plenty of information. I was 
co-producer by accident. And when the producer came on board, he took most of it on. He was the one who got in contact with the BBC and got permission to use that video clip that's dotted throughout it. He did the majority of the paperwork for it, which obviously is a big part. I, I guess I did more of the his his side of the job, which was more like the management, just because I was already talking to Zoe. And he was very good. He was extremely efficient whenever I was like, okay, we need this. That was mostly down to accident. And with the editing, so we filmed the whole film. We got to the editing stage and the guy who'd been assigned as my editor, he didn't have a great laptop initially. was the first problem we came into. And so was really struggling to edit on that. So he quite quickly brought a new laptop, which was very nice of him to buy an entirely new laptop just for the film. But then he was quite inexperienced with editing which is obviously fair enough this was our first film at university what i want as a director is an editor who has independence so that they can sort of just get on with it obviously i'll give them an editing script and then once they've kind of got a first draft i can sort of take a look at it and be like okay that needs to change i don't like that this is missing, I don't like this bit that's been added in or whatever. And let the editor have their own creative freedom and let, even though obviously there's things I want to do with the film, I also want the editor to help me out. They are the editor. I do think it should be more of a collaboration and then it works better because there's also the case of there's loads of stuff that I filmed that I'm like, oh, I kind of want to throw that in. But then an editor can be the person who's like, okay, that just needs to go. That needs to go because they don't have the same attachment that I do to it. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's just kind of how I feel about it. So I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a lot of uh, directors who could do with a more critical editor some yeah. films that'll go on for ages don't they i think an editor is the person who's most likely to just be like you need to get rid of that and make the film run a bit smoother because although a lot of the time they do come to set and they do know sort of what's going on because they haven't captured it themselves or obviously directed it in my case i just don't think they have the same attachment to it which is why it seems like it's an easier job for them to remove it and that might just be me i don't know trying to pass the work on to someone else or something no it's it's interesting what you're saying so i've just finished reading paul hirsch's book in a cutting room far far away talking about his career as an editor and one of his mottos is let's try and remove scenes and does the film fall over without the scene if it doesn't then do we really need it at all Mm. so which is pretty much what you're saying yeah I think it was a pain for both of us because we were both having to sit there in a team's call for like hours on end while I just watched him do the edit and stuff. It was a very stressful experience. And then especially when I had what I was talking about earlier is I did have attachment issues to some of the stuff in it. And I was like, I really don't want to get rid of this. And the film was like 10 minutes long and it needed to be four minutes. Like for it was supposed to be three to four. And I I managed to push the boundaries and make it about four and a half. So I still went over it, but it took me a long time to decide what I was actually going to remove from the film. The thing with editing is, so at university, what I found is that most of the students here, like a, a good amount of them want to be editors, including including myself. Editing is sort of, directing is the main thing I want to do, but editing is sort of like something I'd be interested in as well. So I find a lot of people are interested in editing because 
initially it seems quite simple because what I, from my experience with editing anyway, is that the basics of editing are very easy to learn. There's just sort of a basic, you cut and you remove the bits you don't want. And all of that's very easy. So people are like, oh, wow, I'm good at editing. But then it very quickly gets extremely difficult. And it's not really a learning curve. It's like, okay, this is really, really easy. And then suddenly it just becomes incredibly difficult for the stuff that obviously the professional editors end up doing. And I think that is sort of a lack of knowledge by a lot of the people who want to be editors here that that is the case and I mean I don't really know how they can get around that to be honest. I, do, I think I'm lucky to have realized that like okay I think I'm good at editing but I'm not anywhere near good enough to be an editor and it will be incredibly hard to be an editor because a lot of the other doc- documentaries here are the editor has just cut it out and put some music over it which is to be fair, is mostly what I've done. I, there's not much else I've added into it. All sorts of like color grading and just bits like that that people don't initially think about when they think about editing it can be like incredibly challenging to get right at least. So I think at university, there is a lot of people and probably a lot of them are those same ones that are just on the course because they don't really know what else to do who are just like, okay, I want to be an editor because it's fairly easy. And I think I think it can be said for most of the roles. It's like a lot of people may, might want to do producing because it just seems like a bit of management and paperwork. And then there is bits of producing that can be incredibly difficult. The same goes with camera. Like, okay, it's easy to open up a camera and film something. Anyone can do that. But it's getting the shot right, which camera people can do. And I just think, obviously, we are second term at university. And a lot of us, including myself, have never really done any of this before. But I just think there is a lot of people on the course who are sort of almost blind to how difficult the roles in our industry become very quickly. I mean, on editing, I would strongly recommend listening to the opening of Paul Hirsch's book when he walks through the editing process, which I thought was really mm-hmm. good. So I'm, I just want to go back on something you said, you know, about the cutting down. You had a 10-minute film, you got it down to four minutes. Yeah. If I were to say to you, what's the one thing you want to put back into this film? What would that one thing be? For the, for the director's cut. Yeah. <laughs> um, it would probably just sort of be extending most of what I've got in there so it's all very trimmed down and it's very fast paced and it doesn't considering it's supposed to be quite a emotional documentary it does very quickly jump from Zoe talking about one thing to her talking about another and while there is structure to it she just had a lot more to say about everything that we touched on and I tried to choose the best sort of short snippets for it but with like each of those if I could have had each topic I spoke about on there about like even just 30 seconds longer then I think the documentary would have been better I have had a lot of praise for the documentary I can't say truthfully that I'm that happy with it but that's part of me being a bit of a professional uh, that's you being an artist there Archie yeah. yes, that all <laughs> artists are like that it is really good and yeah and now it's on YouTube yeah. what has Zoe said about it Zoe didn't seem to like it very much and I think it's because she is in the same sort of mindset as I am as we know all the other stuff that she said and obviously we all experienced the hour of her speaking and I think she was just disappointed that she'd said some great stuff and it wasn't in there. But I did say to her, 
this is four minute song that is going to be a lot we have to cut out and i kept warning her and she seemed happy with it and she said it was nice a nice love letter to my father but also her tone of voice was very i i'm not actually that happy with this but it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't an i'm unhappy with this it's more of a I thought this was going to be something much different to what it was, which is fair enough because I think initially when I was pitching the film, initially it was before I changed it to be that legacy. And obviously, yeah, she knew everything else that could have been in there. So I don't know her tripping on it. Like from what she said to me, she was happy with it. But also from what I read of when she was talking to me about it, she wasn't overly that happy with it. At the end of the day, it is positive about her and it is positive about her father. I think she's just. It's a love letter to her father. Yeah, I think in a way she's just disappointed. Honestly, I am not surprised by it. I kind of, when I was editing it down, I was kind of like, okay, I like this and this is good for a viewer of the film. This is good because they haven't been there and spoken to Zoe about it but the amount she was saying honestly it could have been a feature length film with the amount she was saying yeah so to my mind you've got all the traits of a good director here you're very focused on what you want you know what you want in the film you know what you want every role to achieve and you're not happy with the results it's just about every filmmaker I've ever spoken to said that (laughs) what's your next project I do have a lot going on at the moment my last year has been quite an interesting one for me because I'd say before coronavirus I was a fairly sort of lazy person and although I have wanted to be in the film industry for a long time it's been on and off since I was eight because the first job I remember ever wanting to have was a cameraman on a show called Deadly 60 I don't know if you know it but it's it's a sort of kids show where it's Steve Backshaw who's kind of like a he's kind of like a Bear Grylls type he's quite a nice guy and he he basically just it was on CBBC I think and they just sort of traveled the world and show like the most dangerous animals and the cameraman gets to be right there with like these like really poisonous snakes and stuff and I love stuff like that I just I kind of really like dangerous things I'm quite a adrenaline junkie in some senses not all I'm not I don't think I'm stupid about it I've always been quite into stuff like that so when I was young I was like okay I want to be the cameraman on that I didn't for some reason like most people were like who were like me were like oh yeah I want to be Steve Batchelor and I want to be the presenter on it but I was always like no I want to be the one filming it which was weird because at that point I was extremely young I hadn't really been to the cinema because I was only eight like I didn't really watch many films but I was like I want to be the one behind the camera and I to this day don't know why that was since then I've had sort of on and off passions about it and then about I'd say two or three years ago I was like okay I kind of started watching more films in general and more like different types of films and understanding more what film is because if you asked me four years ago what a director did I probably couldn't tell you to be honest with producers I've only really known what they do for the last year I haven't really um, known what they did before that so it's been weird I've kind of always wanted to be in the industry but haven't really known or done that much about it like I I used to make YouTube videos and stuff but I never really properly made any films before this one not any proper ones I did make one in sick form but we don't talk about that because it was atrocious I was not happy with that film all learning Um, all learning is valid (laughs) it is learning but I I look at it and I go I can't believe I made that. Uh, like, I'm genuinely embarrassed by it. This was my first real experience with actually hands-on stuff other than just sort of playful things with my friends. 
so it has been weird for me because before lockdown, I was obviously quite lazy and didn't do anything about it. Lockdown came around and lockdown has been extremely positive for me, which is very weird because I know most people have had a very negative experience with it. But I got a full time job and I was quite, quite busy. And also I didn't have to do my A-levels, which was quite a benefit for me because I did I did probably get similar to what I would have got maybe slightly worse than what I would have got but just stuff like revision and stuff like that I just I'm not the type of person who wants to sit down at a desk and like read over my notes over and over again to learn for a test so I didn't have to do my A-levels and I still got the grades and that was very good for me. So what would you say then are you what some of your favorite films some of your filmic influences? Well, so this is what I was sort of going to mention. During that um, period, I sort of, when I was at home, because I couldn't see any of my friends, even though I was really into film by that point, I became much more into, I don't I don't want to sound all like artsy and like, oh, I'm a filmmaker or whatever, <laughs> but I, I, beca- I came, but like, I became more interested in like indie films and stuff like that. And a lot of low budget and unheard of films. I do still really enjoy blockbusters. Like one of the most controversial things about me at this university is, although I really like some indie films, uh, Christopher Nolan is still one of my favorite directors. And um, that's not the type of filmmaking I want to do at all. I'm, I'm not into that sort of like a big budget action stuff. I don't really think I'd ever want to do that. I much prefer like personal stories, but I'm still an absolute sucker for Christopher Nolan films. I love them. Even Tenet. It's controversial, but I really enjoyed Tenet. And okay, I think let's it's move that. on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like Tenet, it's like Tenet's this, good. Yeah, yeah it's, Tenet is good. It, I I think it's I understand everyone's flaws with it, and if I look at it in a sort of pretentious filmmaker way, I'd like I obviously understand all the flaws. But when I'm there and I watch all these all these good actors going backwards, something about that for me is just top tier like <laughs> like yeah. I, I think it's the spectacle of them it's just i've i'm like always blown away by nolan films and i only watched them um, i'm i'm through most of his library now i've only got following and insomnia that i haven't seen but i watched memento for the first time the other day which was obviously one of his like more early films that was less spectacle than all the other ones i've seen obviously there was still a lot of action and stuff in it but i thought he actually is a good director and i know like people mock him a lot but like i would say that all his films are good if not very good like in my opinion okay people can call him a bad director but i don't think any film he's actually made is bad um he's, a, he's not a bad director he's just losing contact with his audience that's all oh, that's that's so yeah. shut up his audience liked it <laughs> yeah, you're right, just not okay. his audience and like tenant neil and graham's iq's going backwards <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and jeff jeff just wants to be controversial yeah, yeah. <laughs> as always i used to be very into marvel films before before I got pretentious You're making filmmaker. making it worse, aren't you? Um, digging it <laughs> I said I used to be, but um, okay. yeah, now, now, even though I still love those like Christopher Nolan films, most Marvel f- films, I'll sit down in front of them and just be bored by them, a bit annoyed when I watch them. And some of them I think are good. Like the ones where they all like team up, the Avengers ones are all like fairly good. And they're not like, they're not like, well-made films but they are fun to watch but then most of them most of the ones that are just like individual ones i will sit down in front of that and won't be like 
this isn't a bad film. This is not a film I want to watch anymore. They, I just find them dull now, which is weird because if you'd taken me three years ago, I probably would have loved every second of a Marvel film and then gone and um, watched an indie film and be like, wow, this is so boring. And now it's like the polar opposite for me, I just yeah. except well, when it comes to Nolan. I, I think what's <laughs> impressive by what you're saying is that people can grow out of Marvel films. Uh, unfortunately, some people are too old to do that now. Uh, <laughs> nowhere for them to go. Is your aim to go down the indie route? Is that what you want to do? I wouldn't so much say the indie route. Uh, indie films do interest me a lot. And I mean, they're not so much indie films anymore because they, they well, I mean, they're still indie films. They're like independently made, but they're not so much that sort of indie film because they've sort of become popular through people liking indie films. But for, I don't know if you've seen like Climax came out in 2018, I think it was. Um, it's a French film. And I thought it was absolutely incredible. Um, one of my favourite films now. I think it lost quite a lot of money at the box office and was made for only like eight million films like that. I did. I am really into. I'm just. I'm still not fully sure what I want to make. I'm very much into sort of weird horror films as well, um, which Climax is one of them. Same with. I quite like Ari Aster's work, which I think a lot of people do. I'm not such a big fan of Midsummer, but. Well, I still think it's very good, but like Hereditary is one of my favourite films. Yeah, but I think as well, I mean, what I like and what I really like talking to you about is you clearly have strong opinions on what you want to do. And I think that's fascinating. And what I'd like to do is is come back as your terms progress and talk to you about other works that you've done, and mm. where you sit then and, and what your views on the world and your and the world of filmmaking is, if that's okay with you. Yeah, I know. I'd I'd happily come back again, but yeah, I'd, I'd happily come yeah, back again no, no, at some no, we'll, point. We'll, we'll, we'll talk. So it's it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Yeah, and I definitely uh, wish you every success on on what you, you do. And just a small favour, really, from us. Would you yeah. care to join us on some other at the Flix projects we've got underway? You know, some talks, interviews, and so forth. Uh yeah. If you want me to, I'd I'd yeah, happily yeah. do it. It's good to have somebody sort of, you know, that looks at horror movies because it's lonely here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we obviously don't want to interfere with your film development and we'll, and we'll talk that through what projects we got coming up. Archie, thank you very much indeed for your time. And check out the show notes, everybody, because you'll see a link over to YouTube to see The Blue Flash. And it is a wonderful little film and well worth your time. Archie, thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Archie. Thank you. Cheers, Archie. Cheers. Cheers.